Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, just a photographer who's been at it over 30 years. But if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you can say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week, I share a devotional inspired by the name of one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. The cross image accompanying this week's devotional is the shadow, which is one of the most surreal and unique images in the entire collection. The entire image, except for the cross and foreground, is completely full of the most unique shade of blue, a baby blue, the richest, light, lightest, and calming type of blue hue I've ever seen or captured. Now, the cross is not a silhouette, but a reflective white cross that jumps off in contrast to the deeply rich blue sky. This is because of the off-camera flash that I used. The foreground around the cross is covered in the type of amber-yellow grass typically seen in late summer. It also tells you that I shot this cross before they broke ground on the school. I shot this with my tripod at its lowest height, about three feet up, which means that the camera is angled up towards the cross. Then I used a long exposure of 30 seconds to stack up the color that was there upon itself. This is the reason behind the unique blue hue. It was about either half an hour or 45 minutes after sunset, with the sun having set behind me, I was shooting east. But even at that late point past sunset, there was a tint of blue you normally see in the transition zone between night and day, but the long exposure amplified that hue. And why the reason for the name, the shadow? Well, one of the first verses that come to mind is Psalms 17:8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. But the verse I resonate with the most is Psalm 91, 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Both of these involve trusting the Lord and enjoying the security of God's blessing and protection. Until recently, I never considered the deeper meaning of this verse beyond its poetic description of the protection and comfort of the Lord. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus said in Matthew 23:37 How often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings the imagery is beautiful but as in all things of god the more closely we examine it the more splendor we see especially when the tectonic plates of your life get turned upside down dwelling and trusting in god is a place where we can shelter until the storm passes and it is where we find mercy we read in Psalms 57, 1. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusts in you. Yea, 
In the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities diminish. For me, a good analogy is in regards to where I live. In the region that I call my hometown, during the summer we'll have streaks of a few days or a week with triple-digit temperatures. If you are standing in full sun, let's say on a 106-degree day, it is not only miserable, but dangerous, especially for an extended amount of time. However, just stepping into the shadow of a shaded area makes a dramatic difference. Sure, it is still hot, but if you stay in the shade, you can safely make it through the day. In life, there are evil powers like the blazing sun that try to hurt you, distract you from your destiny, and keep you miserable. And for me, a good analogy is in regards to where I live. In the summer, we'll have streaks of a few days or a week or more with triple-digit temperatures. If you are standing in full sun on, say, a 105-degree day, it is not only miserable, but dangerous, especially for an extended amount of time. However, just stepping into the shadow of a shaded area makes a dramatic difference. Sure, it is still hot, but if you can stay in the shade, you can safely make it through the day. In life, there are evil powers like the blazing sun that try to hurt you, try to tempt you, try to distract you from your destiny, and generally keep you miserable. But you can find immediate relief and peace in the shadow of God's wings, refreshing you and rejuvenating you to fulfill your destiny in and for the kingdom of God. All that said, I have to confess that none of these verses or analogies is what inspired me to name this image the shadow. The real reason is because of the shadow and the image. Many don't, don't see it right away, but once you see it, you will never not see it. And that is, if you look closely, there is a shadow just behind the white cross and appears to the left and above the cross. It looks as if the shadow is clinging to the upper left-hand side of the cross. The question is, how can this be? Is it possible? Did I do it on purpose? Was it an accident? Or was it a little bit of both? Or was it photoshopped? Well, the answer to the last question is an emphatic no. All of these cross images were shot on 35mm film, and everything you see in the image is on the negative. But the answer to the on-purpose or by-accident question was a little bit of both. Remember, I said this was a 30-second shot, and I, as the photographer, had to use an external flash to illuminate the cross and reflect light off the cross. If I don't use a flash, the image will end up with a, just a silhouette of the cross. And, and the grass of the foreground will be a colorless black silhouetted area as well. Now, I can choose when to pop the flash, either at the beginning, the middle, or end. But in this case, I chose to hit the flash right before the very end. The variable here is that it was a fairly windy night. And just before I popped the flash, a wind gust arose just strong enough to push the camera to the, to the right ever so slightly so that the silhouette was stayed on the left. And the result was an image that had a perfectly defective white cross and the ghost silhouette of the cross behind it. Simply amazing. Remember, I said this was a 30-second shot. As the photographer, I had to use an external flash to illuminate or reflect light off the cross. Now, if I don't use a flash, the image will end up with a silhouette of the cross and the grass of the foreground, which in the current image has color and light on it or from it, will 
it will end up being a colorless black silhouetted area, only being able to tell that it's grass on the top of the silhouette. Now I can choose to pop the flash either at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end. In this case, I chose to hit the flash right before the very end. The variable here is that it was a fairly windy night. And just before I popped the flash, a wind gust arose, just strong enough to push the camera to the right ever so slightly. The result is an image that is a perfectly reflective white cross and the ghost silhouette of the cross right behind it in the same image. Simply amazing. Now, we are safe in the shadow of Jesus and the sacrifice he made on the cross. Sin, because of that sacrifice, is no longer our prison guard or our probation officer. And not only have we been freed, it goes one step further and calls our attention to the perspective that Jesus is no longer a slave to the cross, that his body no longer remains on the cross. Like we see on an artist's crucifix or on a necklace cross, but no, Jesus was raised from the dead and is alive today. And we are alive, born again in Jesus. I want all of you to know that it is because of the gift of faith, and more than that, I acknowledge that Jesus is my nourishment, my bread, and my water. And yet, I say he is more than that. I, I will go as far as to say that Jesus is the very air I breathe. Wow. The inference is that I could not remain alive, that I would die without Jesus in my life and heart. I would like to turn from declaring my faith to making a series of requests to Jesus, to be moldable, soft clay, willing to be kneaded into what his mighty hands desire to be made into a vessel or tool that the Lord can use for his kingdom. And allow me to turn once more from asking to expressing a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude and how I am able to commune with his presence and the joy I experience through his unconditional love. And consider this, God loves you, God loves us so much that he gave us the freedom to stay in the shadow of his wings or not. God gives us the freedom to choose. He loves us so much that he lets us choose to love him or not. It seems that an underlying theme is something for nothing and released from obligation. Like when an indentured servant is released from his obligation, but then has the option to stay and serve the master willingly. To define something is to make its purpose, function, or meaning clear. And freedom is all about flexibility and privilege. First Peter 1.16 says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Not a standard to meet, but a simple joy of the liberty we find by becoming like him. Day by day, week by week, and year by year. Often stumbling off the road to righteousness, but getting back on and going, continuing down the road. The Bible has so much more to say about our true liberty in Christ. We read in Romans 6.22, But now, being made free from sin and becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and in the end, everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 3.17 states, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, is liberty. I am a joyful Christian, and I find that the holier I live, the happier I am. I encourage you to put Christ first in your life, and you will find yourself appreciating the grace of God more. When the Declaration of Independence was approved by Congress 
on July 4th, 1776, America became the land of the free. We still can enjoy that freedom today because of the sacrifices of brave men and women. For the followers of Jesus, freedom comes from being a disciple of Christ. As you will see, the word freedom takes on new meaning for believers. Let's look at scripture to help you make your own declaration of independence in Christ. Independence from the slavery of sin. In Romans 6.18, the Apostle Paul writes, You have been set free from sin, and we have become slaves to righteousness. The concept of being free from sin can be a confusing one, since all humans fall short of perfection and inevitably commit sins. Being free from sin doesn't mean that you'll never sin again, but it does mean that your soul can be free of the captivity of sin that would otherwise have a hold on us. I recall an interaction in a movie, the first Doctor Strange movie, I believe, where the master teacher was discussing with one of her students, and the student mentioned his appreciation for her help in defeating his demons in his life. And her response was that we never really defeat our demons. We learn to live above them. So how? How do we become free from sin? Well, let's first define sin In a broad sense, sin refers to anything that falls short of the holiness of God. The easiest to spot are usually actions, but sins can also include thoughts and attitudes. Certain actions are considered sins, but the desire to perform certain actions can be sinful as well. For instance, Jesus said that wanting to commit adultery is a sin just as actually committing adultery is. Temptation is not a sin, though if you are put in a compromising situation with someone you find physically attractive, you may feel tempted to act on that attraction. Actually acting on that attraction and committing adultery as a result, or imagining the act of committing adultery without even doing it, is still the sin. Simply feeling tempted to is not. Romans 6.22 says, But now, being made free from sin, becoming servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, and in the end, everlasting life. One thing that can help us is to accept the sinful nature of humanity. Even though mankind was created in the image of God, the fall of Adam and Eve, the first humans, signified the fall of all humanity. As a result, humans are sinful by their very nature. In other words, you don't have to be taught how to sin. Sin is already firmly fixed inside of you, at the very core of your being from the time of your childhood development. Understand then the significance of Christ's sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he carried the sins of humanity with him. Christ's sacrifice canceled out the debt of original sin. In the Old Testament, animal sacrifices were used as a way to atone for the sins of flesh. Even these sacrifices were imperfect, and so the stain of original sin still remained. As both Son of God and Son of Man, Jesus became the perfect sacrifice, capable of freeing the human soul from the chains and punishment of original sin. Know what it means to be free from sin. Accepting Christ and being freed from sin does not mean that you will never make an unwise or sinful choice. Christ's sacrifice freed your spirit from the shackles of sin, your flesh, including your body, mind, and heart will still have to deal with everyday sin. Your spirit can be free from sin even though your body still sins. Be 
Being free from sin on a soul level should mean that you also seek the freedom from sin on a physical level, even though it may never be permanently reached. That said, you must make a conscious decision to accept the offer of salvation before you can have your soul be truly set free. If you haven't done so already, ask Christ to come into your life, forgive your sins, and set you free from sin. This is a crucial first step. Without relying on Christ to free you from original sin, you'll still be captive to sin in all its forms. Here's the key. Love God more than you love sin. Doing the right thing, and not out of a sense of duty, which can lead to legalism, isn't what God wants. God wants your love. And if you come to love God more than you love your sins, and the temporary pleasures some of those sins bring, you will naturally begin to shift away from your sinful nature. Focus on doing good works, again, not out of a sense of duty. Doing the works of the Spirit before worrying about avoiding wicked works of the flesh. When you fix your eyes on that which is good, you are less likely to be drawn toward that which is evil. When addressing a specific sin or temptation, overcome that evil with something good. For instance, do something nice for someone you love and those you don't, instead of simply telling yourself, to stop stewing in anger towards someone else. Acting on the impulse to do something good can distract you from the otherwise temptation to do bad. This focus on what is good is more effective than doing nothing. And don't hesitate or shy away from recognizing the seriousness of your own sin. Habitual sins embed themselves into a person's life in a way that makes them difficult to acknowledge. You may tell yourself that a particular sin is nothing more than a bad habit and as such isn't really that serious. Breaking free from that sin in a lifestyle of sin can only happen once you acknowledge just how serious your own sins are. Remember, all of us sin and fall short of God's holiness. This includes both the littlest lie and the most gruesome offense. A person cannot fix a problem until he or she admits to having it. In the same way, you can only break away from sin by admitting the sins you've committed. Therefore, embed the Word of God in your mind. One of the biggest powers you have against sin in your life is the Word of God. Study the Scriptures regularly. Your goal should be purity of understanding rather than memorization. A thorough understanding of God's Word can help you identify sin more readily and prepare for the temptations and traps that could lead you towards sin. Moreover, regular Bible study can strengthen your faith and make you more aware of God's promises. As your understanding of God's love increases, your desire to love the things of God will also increase, making it easier to resist that which is wicked. And keep in mind this truth. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. The Jews in the first century were confused when Jesus declared, The truth will set you free. Let's look at this exchange found in John eight thirty one. To the Jews that had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we will be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
The Jews believed they had already been freed from slavery as Abraham's descendants because of Moses. They were no longer living as slaves. So what was Jesus saying? To use a Billy Graham term, they were living in spiritual slavery, and the only way to be free was through Christ. So what is spiritual slavery? If you think of spiritual slavery as only affecting the Jewish people, you'd be mistaken. Like the Jews in this passage, many do not realize they are living in bondage and slaves to sin. Whenever we look for freedom or independence outside of Christ, we all fall into sin. I came across a quote from someone named Mike Pullman who explained, Even as Christians, we can fall prey to the temptation to trust in other things for our freedom from the tyranny of sins, status, money, good works, associations, etc. But the true disciple finds freedom in Christ and Christ alone. True Christians are free from sin. As we learn in Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives you life has set you free from the law of sin and death. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin with him. We are no longer held captive by sin. If we are a disciple of Christ, we are under his authority. Paul explains in chapter 6, verse 14, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. And yes, while the wages of sin is death, our freedom in Christ means we do not have to fear death. We will spend eternity with him because our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release the prisoner from darkness. When you were dead in your sins and your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2, 8-15. So how can we remain free in Christ? Scripture clearly teaches that he who the Son has set free is free indeed. As followers of Christ, we were set free from slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to the world, and slavery to the devil. But we are not the same. There was a very real change at our conversion. He who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Biblically, Christians are actually called to fill their mind with godly things, not empty their minds. God called us to be a thinking people. He says, let us reason together, Isaiah 1.18. God calls us to love him with our whole heart, mind, and soul, Deuteronomy 6.5. Paul said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. For in Christ, 
all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Colossians 2, 9-10. As well as Christ has come in the flesh from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even already in the world. 1 John 4, 1. Those of you who listen to this series know about my mom in that she was a heroin addict both before, during, and after I was born. Eventually, her life spiraled out of control. My mom lost me to the state at a certain point, and in the depths of despair when she hit her rock bottom, she reached out to the Lord and said, God, if you are real, change me. God did. He completely changed her. She made a 180-degree U-turn and was a woman of God ever since. Someone listening right now is meant to hear this. You want to be free, but are holding on to something that keeps you in the confined space of guilt, shame, or a grudge against someone. Let go of anything holding you back from full freedom and joy in Christ. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91.1 This involves trusting the Lord and enjoying the security and safety of God's blessing and protection. And it is where we find mercy. We read in Psalm 57.1 Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. For my soul trusts in you. Yea, in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. There is a poem I like by Andrew Murray which states, He took my cross for his own, I must take his cross as my own. I must be crucified with him. It is as I abide daily, deeply, in Jesus, the crucified one, that I shall taste the sweetness of his love and the power of his life and the completeness of his salvation. He who follows me walks not in darkness, says the Lord. John 8.12 By these words of Christ, we are advised to imitate his life and habits if we wish to be truly enlightened and free from all blindness of heart. Let our chief effort, therefore, be to study the life of Christ. I like what I read from Thomas A. Kempis. The teaching of Christ is more excellent than all the advice of the saints, and he who has his spirit will find it as hidden manna. Now, there are many who hear the gospel often, but care little for it, because they have not the spirit of Christ. Yet, whoever wishes to fully understand the words of Christ must try to pattern his whole life on that of Christ. We are called to be other Christs in this world. Unquote. This is why we must die to ourselves and carry our own cross daily to actually cling to the cross. Just like Peter Pan's shadow, once it was stitched back onto him, it mirrored everything Peter did. And when we stitch ourselves to Jesus, we are not relying on our own intellects or our own works. This is the liberating good news of the gospel. It is because of him, not us. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will shout for joy. Psalm 63, 7. If you are a Christian, have you been living in these perspectives? If not, I suggest you meditate in the shadow of the cross. And the phrase Jesus said as he passed away, it is finished. Why? Because it removes doubt, fear, and pain, and provides the faith needed to endure every trial, and to also be ready to sacrifice whatever you are called to for the kingdom of God, knowing that the truth and joy of the gospel is that you 
are a forgiven person. Go, be that person, sharing that joy with others who need it today. If you are not a Christian and have not yet accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what Jesus did for you. Read the crucifixion accounts in the Bible and consider asking God to refine your soul and heal your heart. Ask Jesus to walk with you and fill you with his love and joy today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this essay's image, The Shadow, along with my other Verspirations, then check out Verspiration, singular, and Rob Holt Inspires on Instagram. And if you'd like to learn about the Cross products, hear other Cross podcasts, then log on to RobbieHolt.com. And support for what the Cross means to me comes from the generous donations of people like you. To help this ministry share the gospel through imagery, please make a donation at RobbieHolt.com. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com. 